Welcome to Hindsight is 2020, a show where we look at anything in this world and arrogantly say how we'd fix it. And I can prove it with my usual flawless logic. These two idiots. (laughs) We give our thoughts on movies and TV shows that should or should not have been. Klopek. What is that, Slavic? No. Oh. About a nine on the tension scale, Rube. With your host, Pete. That kid next door is a meatball. And Greg. I don't want to hear any of your bullshit either. The question here is garbage. Who picks up this mess? Who picks up this mess? Or you're going to pick up the mess because you are a garbage man. And we slowly and mercilessly beat our subject to death. I've never seen that. I've never seen anybody drive their garbage down to the street and bang the hell out of it with a stick on. I've never seen that. Hello, and welcome back to Hindsight is 2020, uh, where we look at your favorite stories, movies from the past, or not so favorite, and think of how we can either reboot them, do them correctly the first time, or in the case of what we're going to talk about today, find a way to do a sequel that probably is completely unnecessary. Yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> today I will represent Walter's toupee. Oh, whoa, 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 back no, no, down. No. Hold on, Slick. No, 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 no. What What are we talking about? <laughs> oh, we'll get there. <laughs> we'll get there. I want to see, well, if, the, I wanna see if the audience can figure it out first. If I, oh, okay. I didn't know we were giving tests now. <laughs> well, if I'm Walter's toupee, that makes you... I'd have to be Ricky's unnecessary high five. So now we're, we're going to make a run to McDee's. You want a quarter pounder or something? Oh, no way! Hey, wait, you guys can't go now. It's the best part. I called the pizza dude. All right. There you go. <laughs> and, and what we're talking about today or discussing or we're going to get into is a sequel to the 1989 smash hit, the biggest blockbuster of the 1980s, the thing that launched the superstar careers of such fine figures as Rick Dukeman and Corey Feldman and Bruce Dern. (laughs) Uh, We're all in one movie. Well, (laughs) you can believe it. uh, Along with cameos from Hanks and Carrie Fisher. Oh, right. Those two. The 1989 classic, The Burbs, is what we're referring to here today. And in our wonderful wisdom of leading up to this recording, the thought process began with how can we reboot the Burbs since everything from the 1980s is being rebooted and this is one we have not heard about yet through the pipeline. But uh, it became more and more apparent as we went along this could really use an actual, real, honest-to-God sequel to the first one and not just a reboot. That would be a little bit more fun. Yes, it, there was a lot more fun aspects to come as we thought our way through an updated story for this movie. So we we can start it off, I guess. Uh, you you had found some trivia on this goofy original movie. I, I went all the way to IMDb, folks. <laughs> ah, well, that's some heavy duty login of research. You <laughs> heavy went to the duty, library. heavy duty stuff. Well, let's let's uh, let's well, get a pro- synopsis you, did, about did you what, just, what you, the Burbs was. Did you just drive to the library and? And then sit down with a big cup of coffee and then say, can I have internet access? And then logged on to IMDb. (laughs) (laughs) Can I have some trivia facts now? (laughs) 
<laughs> what do you got? Went, went out on the street and just rattled a cup. Um, <laughs> well, here, I'll, I'll, read the, uh, I'll read the Rotten Tomatoes uh, summation of this film. Go for it. All right. Ward and June Cleaver have nothing on suburban couple Ray and Carol Peterson, Tom Hanks and Carrie Fisher. Together with their perfect son, Ray and Carol are so clean, they squeak. Thus, when new neighbors Dr. Warner Klopek, Henry Gibson, Uncle Reuben, brother Theodore, and Hans, Courtney Gaines, begin inventing bizarre behavior, Ray is slightly put out. Carol thinks that Ray is getting all worked up over nothing. Ray and his fellow suburbanites endure all sorts of slapstick misadventures in the vain hope of getting the goods on the newcomers. Well, there you go. Yes. Basically, it's a story about Tom Hanks and his neighbors being suspicious of the weird newcomers into the neighborhood and uh, going to great lengths to prove that there is something odd going on, which, of course, they do. That's a good summation of it, I guess. But what we talk about, and we won't get too heavy-duty into making this a review show of the verbs, but what we have both agreed upon is that, yes, it is a memorable film from our childhood. It has been on repeat viewing along with lots of other movies from the 80s. Why it deserves that repeat viewing, I guess we can get into. But I think one thing that we agree on, there there was a germ of an idea in this movie that never really came to fruition. And we cannot pinpoint what that is. Something is missing. Whether there was something that didn't go all the way or something is missing... And I think that's that's kind of evident from the fact that the cover art of the poster for the movie, there's a tagline on the poster. And even that, for all the people who would listen to this and know have seen the burbs multiple times like we have, to see a tagline next to Tom Hanks standing on the cover of the poster for the burbs that says, he's a man of peace in a savage land, suburbia. Yeah, I guess that's a tagline. He's a stranger in a strange land... It's, yeah, it's just weird. It's just not a good tagline at all. So they just didn't know. Ooh, ooh, here's a challenge for you. Go Can for it. Hindsight us a new tagline for this film. I couldn't. Not <laughs> on top of my head. That's just that's just asking too much work. Especially as I'm sitting here on a fine early March Sunday afternoon. The temperatures skyrocketing here in Ohio, and yet it's early March, and I I have to listen to the echoing canyon of goofy people, speaking of suburbia, uh, already out and mowing their lawns. So can I not have a peaceful Sunday? I wanted to sit outside and talk about this, but all people would hear on the other end of this is a buzzing of of lawnmowers echoing throughout suburbia. So there's the modern day. It could be some grand conspiracy like we saw in this film. Exactly. The modern-day burbs. Nothing but having to sit and listen to a bunch of goofy people still technically in winter cutting up nothing <laughs> just because they feel like they need to do something. i got to mulch up my dirt. Yeah, good times. Good times. So what's the, uh, what's the, what's the trivia of this the Tom The earth-shattering Hanks? trivia? Tom Hanks glory. Okay, all right. Well, see if you spotted this the first time. The Klopex... Uh, named their Great Dane dog Landru, probably after Henry Landru, a notorious French serial killer. Well, heck yeah. Uh, uh. 
In the Klopek basement, there's a sled with the name Rosebud. If reference to Citizen Kane. Um, sure. <laughs> Early in the movie, when Corey Danziger is eating breakfast, a box of gremlin cereal can be seen on the kitchen counter in the background. Hey. Uh, director Joe Dante also directed Gremlins, and Corey Feldman was in Gremlins. He was. Neat. Okay, well, this is uh, pretty dumb trivia, so I'm going to give you one more. All right. Um, at the very beginning of the movie, when the camera starts to pan down the street, a street sign appears, Mayfield Place. Mayfield was the town where the Cleavers lived, and Leave it to Beaver, the movie was filmed on the same lot. Eh, 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 eh it was good. It wasn't bad. Wasn't bad. <laughs> Oh, I got I got one more for you. Oh no! Carrie Fisher has psychic powers, or she read the script. Meaning. Before all the neighbors go over to the Klopek's house for a friendly chat, Carrie Fisher says, "Before someone falls off a roof or sets themselves on fire." Both indeed happen later in this scene. Rumsfeld falls off his roof, and Ray sets himself on fire. There you go. Mm-hmm. Well, Princess Leia's on top of the world. <laughs> And the dark matter was stolen by Princess Leia of Alderaan. (laughs) Okay. All right. So we get a little bit into this. Uh, I have recently seen this film. You have not. No, it's been um, maybe five years since my last viewing of this one. Yeah, I wanted to go in fresh thinking no matter how much I remember of this movie, I still want it to be when I talk about it. They have very fresh knowledge of it. So I saw it just a few days ago. It was an absolute struggle to try and find a copy of it. I had to find one of the few blockbuster videos left around. And, hey, if somebody in the future is listening to this, that's an actual store where you can go and get movies in a physical form, bring them to your home for a dollar fee, and then return them to the place of purchase or rental. Uh or, or depending on how long down the road you're listening to this, those don't exist anymore. They were. <laughs> yeah, they were. So I, I tracked one down and I watched it. And the first thing I noticed is I was very surprised at going in. I was expecting to have that feel of, oh, my God, this is so 80s. This is so 80s. I did not get that from this movie. I was very surprised at how much, how well it, it held up. Uh, I think the the only thing that really kept it in the 80s for me would be that I knew, remember seeing it in the 80s. But outside of that, it really did surprisingly hold up. Now, it's not a great movie, but it was... It just it held up somewhat. Okay, I'll, I'll tag in on that 80s thing. And you, you've kind of already answered this, but I'll just put it out there anyways. Did the, uh, since we've mentioned him already, did the Feldman factor um, and the <laughs> the surfer dude, uh, nah, California yeah. surfer dude talk that he's uh, pulling out there during the film, did that put it back in time for that you at all? Was, or? That is what made everything stand out at the <laughs> 80s. That's the only thing in the entire film that that made you say, oh my God, this is the 80s. And even more to the fact the Corey Feldman side note character, it seemed like this was a, like you said, Joe Dante's directing it. He's got his stable of actors he liked to put in movies just like every filmmaker does. And he just decided to throw Corey Feldman a bone. 
you lose Corey Feldman's character in this movie, you lose nothing. You actually <laughs> gain a more timeless feel to your movie because he is the one thing that screams, we are in 1989, we are in 1989. If you remove him, you can just say, we're in generic burb, suburbia America anytime. The, they just happen to have some minor technology that could be from the 70s, 80s, early 90s, mid-90s. But if the second you throw Corey and his pizza dudes, you are <laughs> and his heavy metal, and it it throws you off completely. Mm. So not not lost, not totally lost to the ages. Correct. Okay. And the story of the movie, I guess we did the brief synopsis. Uh, yeah, it wasn't the best, but no. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the the basic idea being that you've got. Tom Hanks back in his glory day that we will say this till the end of time and however many of these we record if we include Hanks in it we will continuously try to get petitions signed to somehow send to Tom Hanks management saying please get him more comedies because we miss his comedy days yeah if somebody already hasn't started the Twitter or Facebook campaign or even a website that says Tom Hanks do comedy again (laughs) uh, tell us about it start it up then tell us about it so we can sign on board. <laughs> exactly. Uh, we're we're all about uh, you know looking back on this guy's career and uh, going. You know what? We we miss this side of Tom Hanks. And this was towards the end of it. Yeah, it really. This might have been about it. I mean, what, uh, what I mean, was the, his next film? Joe versus the volcano. Well, this was all in the same time frame of Joe versus the volcano, Turner and Hooch, and the Burbs. I think he just spit all these out at one time. They were all still the '80s comedy. Let's put Tom Hanks out here, and then he did Bonfire of the Vanities. Um, I'm not. I'm just doing this all off of memory, even though I have some sort of magical uh, machine in we, front uh, of me. We have could... our Sleepless in Seattle. Well, he did the '92. Well, '92 right? was a League of Their Own, and then he did Sleepless in Seattle. And then it would be Philadelphia in 94, they're really... Yeah, so he very much has a a, a, slow, a very easily graphed chart to go from comedy to the bonfire vanities. I don't anybody, think anybody wants to even think about. <laughs> but then he goes for A League of Their Own, where he has a bit of a comedic part in what essentially is a dramatic movie, mm-hmm. to then Sleepless in Seattle, which is a quote-unquote romantic comedy, even though... He doesn't really handle any of the comedy. He's just a straight man. And then you go all the way down to Philadelphia, and that starts his whole run of I am dramatic King Tom Hanks, and he's never come back. He's, <laughs> he's never come back to the bachelor party, man with one red shoe, splash, nothing in common, punchline, yeah, dragnet. We're not, we're not counting what it was, the Lady Killers? Yeah, he did the yeah. Lady Killers with Coen Brothers, which was an attempt at some weird comedy but we we just missed that that tom hanks bit that he can do on letterman or conan he does his little bits and they're funny but he just can't break it it back into the mainstream movies and that's what we miss yeah tangent over (laughs) not a tangent at all someone start that website (laughs) somebody start that facebook campaign back to the burbs this is this is about the end of that run of of the Hanksness. He's plays Ray Peterson. He's married to Carrie Fisher. They have one son and a dog, and they are 
Ray is taking a vacation in the middle of the summer. And a staycation. A staycation. Uh, what an awful word. <laughs> He's taking a staycation where he is spending the week at home. And he has new-ish neighbors. We don't know how long they've been there who have kind of a Munsters family-like house where the grass is dead, the house is a mess, there's weird noises coming from it. They're highly suspecting of these German neighbors or these foreign neighbors, and he has... Well, at, at the beginning of it, nobody's even seen these people, right? Correct, yes. Other than just, like, out at night when they're digging in the rain <laughs> in the mud in the backyard or They only come out at night. Ricky Butler says that they're nocturnal feeders. Oh, Ricky Butler's. Last week, when I was up on the roof with my telescope, I saw them in the backyard. What were they doing, honey? Digging. I don't like grave diggers. Maybe. All right, that's enough of this. Yeah, and and I feel like we're sliding into a long review of it. But okay, well, again, some people may not have seen this, and okay, well, if they don't want to be as inspired as you. Run off to try to track down a copy. Uh, I think we can give them a you know a little bit more detailed rundown of it before we start our own. Fair enough. Well, then we have our main heroes. We have Ray, played by Tom Hanks. We have Art, played by Rick Dukeman, the staple of late '80s, early '90s comedy. Uh, most people recognize him. Uh, I'd say most likely from Groundhog Day. He was one of the two buffoons with the other Rick, Rick Overton, that uh, Bill Murray took onto the railroad, onto the train tracks uh, in his night of I don't careness. But uh, <laughs> he's art. And then Bruce Dern, um, father of Jurassic Parkness girl, uh, <laughs> it, he is Rumsfield, Mark Rumsfield, and he's a retired hyper-military type dude. Art's a slacking loser conspiracy theorist guy. And they're our main heroes that start snooping and inspecting on these weird neighbors that have moved in that no one has seen. Now there's new next door neighbors. What is their name again? The Klopex? Mm-hmm. Is that a Slavic name? I don't know. They've been here a month. You think they're gonna do something about their yard? Yeah, nobody nobody kind of realized that the house next door had ever been for sale. It's like all of a sudden um, there was just new people in there. And uh, so that's, you know, part of what's got them suspicious, obviously, the way that they conduct themselves uh, with, you know, weird lights and noises and actions. And the fact nobody's ever seen them has aroused neighborhood uh, curiosity. And then you have a older neighbor down the street who one day turns up missing. Oh, yes, yes. They have an elderly neighbor named Walter who has a toupee, hint, and he has a uh, little dog that goes and craps and runs through the yard. Just nor- it's, it's traditional, normal suburbia. Houses built in probably the 30s or 40s or 50s, and it's so wine. It's just, it's really, it's the back, sh- it's the uh, back lot street neighborhood that they've shot Growing Pains, The Munsters, Desperate Housewives. They, and they apparently shoot. Leave It to Beaver. And Leave It to Beaver, yeah. <laughs> so it's that normal backlot, uh, idyllic setting thing. Uh, when the movie actually opens, they zoom in like Google Earth, pre-Google Earth times, but they zoom all the way in, and where they end up is somewhere, it looks like northern Iowa or South Dakota or Minnesota or something. They get 
uh, obsessed with trying to find out what's going on with the weird next-door neighbors, the Klopex. They actually go over there and meet them. The house is falling apart. Hanks and uh, Art get attacked by bees when trying to go knock on the door. And ultimately, they have a decision to go sneak in when they see the Klopex leave for the day because it's the doctor, his brother, and their weird son, Hans, are the Klopex, and when they leave, uh, it's time, the mission is to sneak in, dig up the backyard, see if they can find bodies, because they think that the old man down the street who has left suddenly is has been killed and dismembered and buried in the backyard or the basement. Ray, this is Walter. <gasps> no! hijinks and craziness and spoiler it leads to hanks accidentally digging up the basement and hitting a gas line which causes the house to explode the clopex come back they think that they're they've blown up the house of an innocent man because of their their paranoia but it ultimately a, a quality tom hanks comedic rant absolutely way, thrown in there yes <laughs> yes it is maybe we'll throw some clips in here Cue the clip. I've been blown up. Take me to the hospital. Take me to the hospital. I'm sick. Honey, I'll just find out what hospital they're taking you to and then I'll follow right along. Okay? Okay, honey. You okay? Yeah, I'm fine, sure. But we also uh, find out that, he, no, they were right. The Klopex were killing. Their trunk was full of skulls. And they're hauled off. And they leave us with Tom Hanks and Carrie Fisher deciding to go off to a, a lake house on vacation. And Hanks tells Corey Feldman's useless character to keep an eye out on the neighborhood. And we, of course, end with the useless character of Corey Feldman looking straight into the lens and saying, I love this street in his best dude impersonation, probably coked up out of his mind at the moment as he walks down the street and we leave the burbs. Hey, hey, you can't prove that, Rusty. (laughs) (laughs) So that's a long rambling rant of... The Burbs, 1989. All right. What what we liked about the movie, we'll go with the strengths here, because we said that the you know it's lacking in something here. But what we what we like combined liked. Um, again, uh, obviously the performance that Hanks turned in, we wouldn't be talking about this if we didn't like that. Um, he's he's great in it. Uh, there are some nice Bruce Dern comedy <laughs> moments in there as well. <laughs> Bruce Dern has the shining role in this movie. Yeah, uh, he'd be probably the uh, most consistent uh, source of humor, actually, in this. Because uh, Tom Hanks is kind of alternating between you know trying to play the straight man and trying to be a source of comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some of the snooping, some of the mystery parts of it are fine. I don't think either of us is particularly attached to uh, Ricky, a.k.a. Corey Feldman. No, like I said earlier, you lose him in a reboot of this movie. If we were going to go that reboot angle, there's no need for a Ricky. 
at the very worst, because Tom Hanks has a son for, and he's never really brought into it at all. You could very easily make Tom Hanks' son the Ricky part if you want to have just this outside observer to the events of our three heroes. Just popping in to make some inane comment and then walking away again for a while. (laughs) Yeah, and to have Ricky there is no, no, no need. There's no need. At all. Oh, but don't worry. He brought the pizza, dude. Get off my yard, Lamo. Uh, thanks, <laughs> hey, Corey. Get off my yard, Lamo. Uh. Yeah, thank you, Corey. Go away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, 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 I will. I will claim that the strength of the movie is that it holds up. That there, there's a germ of an idea somewhere buried in there in here that got played, and I would say surprisingly got played. To a certain, to a degree that you didn't think they would do in the 80s. I mean, in the 80s, you'd think, okay, well, they found out that the Klopex are just normal people or something. They got it all wrong. And the the motive, the, the idea is, oh, uh, well, in suburbia, you get so bored that you just end up being suspicious of people for no good reasons and the fact that they actually went to the idea place of no let's just go ahead and make them real killers and they found it out but I guess they didn't go far enough with what the Klopex actually did yeah they're kind of shrouded in mystery the whole time and I mean again that's the premise of the film Um, and that's the motivating factor for our heroes but at the same time when the reveal happens, it's kind of, it's kind of a dead point in a sense. There isn't, there isn't enough, at least to me, there isn't enough of like a counterbalance going as to, you know, um, okay, we're suspicious. We're suspicious. Oh, maybe we were wrong. Wait, no, we were right. Crazy ending. End of movie. Yeah. yeah. They, they didn't make the Klopex house a fun house enough. It was, <sighs> I, I don't know. I mean, there's supposed to be a hint of a typical suburban house to it. But when at the end you have Ray and Art breaking into the house and getting down into the basement, the only thing they find is just a big furnace. They, they really could have had a lot of fun with the basement and different things they could have done. Just the visuals of it were just dull. You know what I you know what I was thinking too is um it's it's almost a shame it wasn't a bigger house. It's yeah. like that they could have like gone, you know, creeping around in Scooby Doo style type of thing, um, and had a little bit of fun with that. I realized the whole premise was that we were in suburbia and you know, most suburban houses aren't mansions. <laughs> but <laughs> Yeah. Just a little bit bigger house or the idea being that the Klopex come back and or They're there's more of an interaction in the with them, or somebody gets captured by them, or you know, some something else to raise the stakes. Yes, and yeah. it, it really does become an afterthought at the end of, no, he blew up the house, and this whole time we were wrong, and then about, I'd say, 120 seconds before credits roll, <laughs> oh, hey, Klopex, wait, you are killers. There's bones in your trunk. You're arrested. Take care of the neighborhood, Ricky. You bet, Mr. Peterson. End. Okay. I don't under I don't get it. <laughs> they just they missed the mark somehow. And yeah. our goal our our job is to find out why that mark was missed and 
to say, hey, it's 2012, let's look at a 1989 film, since we're in the idea of rebooting everything, let's say it's possible to get Tom Hanks, Carrie Fisher, Bruce Dern, Rick Dukeman, if you want Corey Feldman, since we'll talk about him <laughs> in a moment, let's bring them back. Now, since most of the Klopeks are dead, except for uh, Courtney Gaines, who played the younger one, Hans, it, since Courtney Gaines is still around, we can bring him back in. Um, and I swear, I know he was in Children of the Corn, but the other thing that I, unless the internet proves me wrong, I, I'm guessing he was the guy in Back to the Future who pushed down George McFly and danced with Lorraine. But I'm, uh, yes, there's a Back to the Future credit listed here. Then that was him. So there's um, there's I, Hans Klopek. I've been sitting here looking at him, and I'm trying to look this up right now. If he was in Internet, Internet. Memphis Bell. Oh, I'm sure he was. He one of the flyers in the Memphis Bell. Maybe? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he, uh, yeah, there he is. Yeah, yep. he, 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 he had an interesting look about him. Apparently has done a lot more TV than I realized. So, Studio Universal, whoever wants to do this, I guess Universal would still on the rights. They're going to come and say we want to reboot it. And we're going to go back and say, screw you, we want a sequel with Tom Hanks and Carrie Fitt. We want all these people back, maybe some new crazy, wacky neighbors, and let's create the Burbs 2. Listen, you got to listen to me. You know what the deal is? What we got to do is we got to go down to the religious supply store. We got to get ourselves a couple of gallons of holy water. My oh, cousin Jerry's I'm a priest. He can get us a deal. No, no. We gotta, then we got to go to the market. We got to get ourselves this. a couple I'm of those big strings. You know, they string that garlic? A couple big strings of garlic. This. We got to get ourselves some I'm fresh lamb's blood. And then we got to. Ray, do you want him to take your family, kidnap them, tear their livers out, and make some kind of satanic pate? Ray, you're chanting. Ray. Ray, look, Ray, unconscious chanting, you're chanting. I want to kill everyone, Satan is good, Satan is our pal. Ray, Ray, you're chanting. Hey, once they get in here, it's over, pal. So we're now on to the Burbs 2, and we're going to pitch this out to Tom Hanks, and who's would be the first one to get involved. And I think the business would be if Hanks jumped on board, I think it wouldn't be a problem getting everybody else to come back to do the burbs too. So the idea is we have Mayfield place and just like all the rest of America, it's all about progress. So the houses have been torn down. Some, Uh, some of the houses have been torn down, and, you know, the, since those houses were fairly close together in the street, and it was a cul-de-sac, they could start tearing a couple of them down, like Walter's house and the rubble that was the Klopex after it blew up, and they're building little mini McMansions in between the houses that are still there. And so there's a developer involved who's still going and, and trying to buy up the old houses to build new McMansions to make money from. So what we have uh, Ray, is Ray is still living there. Yes, Ray is still living there, and yeah, I guess he's just retiring now with partial disability from. Because <laughs> what we need to do is we need to make sure that this sequel, peep, there are consequences to actions, and the actions uh, of the first movie is Ray Peterson blew up a gas line while in a basement of a home, and then somehow walked out of it with his eyes swollen shut, his side of his face burned off. 
So I'm sure he has to look like sloth by now <laughs> as he's on disability here and shows his scars uh, 20 some odd years later. Boy, it's just like the Star Wars podcast. All right, we got to horribly maim people. <laughs> well, there are consequences to their actions here. We can't do one of these silly sequels where Tom Hanks shows up and just says, eh, I had plastic surgery. Eh, why not? Eh. I don't think in most sequels they even bring it up. No, he he, <laughs> he has a limp. He has he has a glass eye or a patch because he, he flew off the side of his face in 1989. Um... Art, I, art can just be bigger. <laughs> he just he can just be heavier, and he can just be Rick Dukeman as he is now. And he's living by himself. His wife finally divorced him because what woman would hang around twenty some more years with that guy? Yeah, and, and we should mention that in the original movie, there's like I think one or two dropped lines about her, and that's the yeah. extent of it. So she. Art's wife is away, and at the very end, Art, your wife is home. My wife is home. No. And that's it. Yeah, whereas the Ray character and the Rumsfeld character, Rumsfeld character both um, had wives who played a role in the original movie. So. Yeah, and, and Bonnie was the uh, Rumsfeld's wife. But that that is going to lead us to where Rumsfeld is, is that since Bonnie was this younger attractive woman we have to say either Rumsfeld has money or he married into money or something so by this point we're thinking he's on wife number three or four moving back into the neighborhood or he still lives there but he just bought a newer bigger house with his divorce from Bonnie and Rumsfeld's consequences are in the first movie the man fell off a roof <laughs> he, he was in the first movie he had to be in his 50s and he fell off a roof so He's probably had a couple hip replacements and can barely move. So no more sneaking around from Mark Rumsfeld. He Boy, just we've got one geriatric cast going here. So I, I think Rumsfeld just needs to be sitting in the Tupper window like Jimmy Stewart with his uh, binoculars and telescope just keeping a lookout for... for oh, the, no, we're in tain- terrible danger. <laughs> Red Rover, Red Rover, let Art go over as he sits there in his wheelchair. <laughs> <laughs> we'll work in a little rear window here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And uh, Ricky. We're bringing, we have to bring Ricky back. This was the Corey Feldman character. Yes. So uh, I believe we decided that uh, Ricky is either a cop or an attorney, or he could be both. All that pizza dude. Mm, let's go with cop. That's more okay. fun. All right, so Ricky's a cop. He doesn't live in this neighborhood anymore. And the idea is, the kickoff, is that since the other, just the simple fact that Brother Theodore and Henry Gibson are long dead in real life, their characters are dead. They died in prison. Hans Klopek can get paroled. So we open up with Ray retiring and Hans Klopek getting paroled. So the first day of Ray's retirement, he's going to stay at home for a little bit. Uh, Carrie Fisher maybe has a job or something. Their son can come back and visit, who was a kid in the first one. Maybe there's grandchildren involved. Those can be some new characters we could deal with. And Ray notices that there's now 
uh, you know, Hans Kolpak coming back in, or he's going to move back in, and they have to wonder why would this creepy killer kid who got paroled move back to the same neighborhood where all this stuff happened before. And that starts off one of our grand mysteries of the second movie. All right, now we we had, um, and it's been a couple days since we talked about this, so bear with us. Um, we had Hans being involved with one of the neighbors in some capacity, as far as like a love interest, or I don't think we got too far into that? it. I don't think we got too far into it. I think it really just needs to be Hans Klobeck, and I don't know if he needs a love interest. I think it's even better if he, since this is such a light and airy original movie. Mm-hmm. And we just keep it that way, so the less the better, so Hans can be paroled and come back and buy a house. And the mysteries are abundant there of, A, why would he come back here? B, we're scared of him. C, where did he get the money to buy one of these new McMansions in the same area? Uh, He maybe buys the house that sits in the same spot as the other ones. And the differences can be he, he shows that he has been rehabilitated so he brings Sutter Dean and cookies to <laughs> Tom Hanks and Carrie Fisher and apologizes and holds a, a barbecue and a block night and makes homemade beer for them and trying to in, in all outward appearances is showing attrition, contrition and trying to make it up to them I'd like to see this movie just for the barbecue scene. Sutter Dean? <laughs> <laughs> Them all taking bets on what the meat's made. <laughs> <Actually>. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and there's all different endless things. There could be a scene of... Um, it turns out it's nothing but Vegemite. <laughs> there you go. There could be a scene of... Uh, mirroring the scene of Art and Ray telling a story of the old guy in the 50s who went crazy and killed somebody. To Corey Feldman in the first movie, we could have Art and Ray telling stories to Ray's grandchild or somebody who just came for a visit on his first day of retirement and have fun with that. But at night, Ray is having flashbacks again as he's the only one who is noticing weird things going on at Hans Kulpeck's house. Hmm, weird things, you say. More... You know what weird things? More digging in the backyard. Hmm. More weird sounds coming from the basement. And he has... Do, do we have anybody missing at this point in the neighborhood? I don't know if we have to have anybody missing. Um, I think what we talked about is this shouldn't be the same murder-type story. Uh, I mean, that we could have somebody missing as a red herring for what our ultimate goal will be. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there can be somebody missing that we can introduce at the beginning, a la Walter and the dog. We can introduce somebody who goes missing, quote-unquote, and that leads our first Ray, and then he has to convince Art and Rumsfeld that the same thing's happening again, and they can be a lot more skeptical this time. Yeah, because we had kind of broken up the team a little bit here. Um, you know, Art, maybe he's uh, changed his tune a little bit here with the loss of his wife. Maybe he's kind of backed off some of his crazy antics. Um, 
and then uh, actually Rums- no, I Rumsfeld, think Rumsfeld we had uh, moving out of the neighborhood and then coming back kind of at the towards the beginning of this thing with the new wife and everything. So yeah, I think Rumsfeld should be a lot more chilled since he's he's in a he's older and he's in a wheelchair. But I, I think calling him the wrong name. <laughs> Rumsfield. I know. Yeah, we keep doing that. I've I know. That a couple times now. He is. He is Rumsfield. We'll get it right one of these times. He is O Biden. Okay. Um, <laughs> but I think Art's characters should really, really be heavy Dan Aykroyd esque into conspiracy theories and everything because ultimately he was the one who brought all the conspiracies to the table in the first movie and they all came true. So he should have been emboldened to, over the last 20-some-odd years, be leading all sorts of stuff. That's why his wife left him, because he's just dedicated to finding out all more, all these other conspiracies and and getting behind these mysteries. So, so Hans is the great white whale to Art's Captain Ahab. He's the great white buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> he is. He is the, he is the whale. And, and but I think that Art could change his tune a little bit, or, or he doesn't have to play the same bit that he did in the first one. I think this time Ray could really be the one, because when Hans moves back in, yeah, there could be some question marks about it. But then after all the stuff that he goes through to prove himself that he's better and he has the barbecue, and right off the bat we could have this within the first 30 or 40 minutes of the movie. Granted, this doesn't have to be a long movie. Mm-hmm. The first, I mean, the first Burbs is only a little over an hour and a half. Yeah, it says 101 minutes here. Yeah, so we can actually have a scene where he gives a tour of the the house, and and suddenly Ray Arton and, and Rumsfeld are in the same room together again, and they kind of get that old feeling and say, "So, uh, Hans Zima boy, how about we take a look at the basement?" And sure, and you go down, and it's just, there's like. It's it's finished off. Yeah, it's a finished basement. It's a screening room. There's a brewery, microbrewery. It's the man cave. Yeah, and everybody's thinking, oh, okay, this is really nice. But then when everybody leaves, we have a scene in the street of Ray, Art, and Rumsfield are the only ones who look at each other and say, I wonder how that creepy kid could afford all these things. He's been in jail all this time. And then Ray starts to see all the things going on at night. Hans digging up the backyard. Uh, there could be more people. Maybe there's more Klopek relatives that have come into America to live with Hans. It could start being like a Mexican stereotype where in the house lives like 48 people live in the house. <laughs> at the end, we just see an endless stream of Klopek family coming out. Um and there, there's all sorts of stories in here, but what we're ultimately getting to, the idea is this was the suburbs. The suburbs hit big in America in the 40s and 50s. That's when it really kicked off. Prior to the 40s and 50s, it was all about the world coming to an end, world wars, all those kind of things. So what they would have done is, if this is a middle America, they would have built a bunch of bomb shelters so, so there could be bomb shelters built underneath, and then they built the suburbs on top of that. So the metaphor being that America kind of built itself on top of its history. So there were bomb shelters, then they built the, the pretty picket, white picket fence suburbs, 
of the 40s and 50s on top of the bomb shelters, and then when that was blown up in the late 80s and early 90s, they just kind of stayed the same. Now they're just starting to build little mini McMansions on top of them. And the idea is one of the things the Klopeks did when they moved into that house is that they buried a lot of family treasure and golds in one of the bomb shelters below the house. And Hans is trying to find his way back in to that deep down level of bomb shelter where the, the family treasure is. Yeah, and um, this this could be a point, too, where we can have a little tie-in with the first movie, the fact that these people um, in that movie were cannibals, and they've been running around killing people and, you know, not just taking their li- uh, lives, but taking their stuff. Um, so this is kind of the uh, accumulated treasure hoard yeah. uh, type of thing. And, I mean, we could, you know, we could drop early on in the film... Uh, you know, maybe the uh, what was the name of the people who live next door to them? The, the Naps. Yeah, uh, there's. I mean, we never see these people in the original movie. There's just like a couple of lines dropped about them, and that's really about it. And maybe that was something too with the uh, first film, since we never saw the victims. Uh, the crime itself didn't seem as scary somehow, or something. Maybe it was. Yeah, it was definitely a kids-like version of, they're just big bad killers, look, <gasps> skulls and bones! Da, da, da. And, but, but yeah, I mean, we could we could tie in with a, uh, you know, maybe ads that the neighborhood is being altered and all these things are going on. Uh, the One of the relatives of the Naps uh, is, you know, selling off the land finally after all these years, and they're, you know, questioning this person about, you know, who are you selling it off to? And it's just some holding company he doesn't know who's behind it type of thing. Uh, but he could mention something about, you know, the fact that um, it was a shame that his parents' money was never recovered or, you know, something like that or because of the explosion or, you know. So there's some t- some tension with uh, Ray and Art and, you know, this uh, person, uh, the relative of the Naps over that because, hey, they did blow up the house. <laughs> yes. And it the bigger mystery and ultimately the bigger conclusion is that they killed many, 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 many people. And not only did they just kill the people, they took all their money and treasure, personal treasures and things. So that was some of the reasoning behind what the Klopex did in the first movie and what they were doing all the way up until they were caught that they were killing people and taking all of their money and burying them. That's why they came to this particular place because they knew it was a perfect place to bury all this stuff in this bomb shelter as their own personal safe, their own personal bank. And when the house got blown up and then built back over, no one thought to go down that deep to find where all this stuff was. And Tom Hanks maybe was just digging in the wrong spot in the basement. If he had started digging in another spot, he could have found access points. And so what Hans is doing every night is trying to dig to find the access points to get down there again and trying to dig his way down. And all the noises could just be like digging machines. It's not even a furnace. They're not killers this time. It's a bigger mystery. And, um, yeah, it turns out that, you know, he is in part responsible for the ripping down of the houses in the neighborhood in part to cover some of his own activities here but also to help search for these access points 
Well, not necessarily. I, I think he's... Well, yeah, I mean, he's kind of partnered with somebody who will be our red herring at the end here. Our our grand reveal at the end. Because realize we're making a sequel to The Burbs. And The Burbs was in and of itself an innocent, jokey, sort of pseudo-childish horror movie by Joe, Joe Dante. We don't have to be beholden to that. We we can go on the lines of something from Alien to Aliens, where you go from a a scary, spooky horror movie to a balls-out action movie. Well, we're going from a goofy, comedic, not-really-horrific horror movie in the 80s to, well, what we get. Yeah, to more of a mystery, comedy... Which we think is following the same path. We think we're just treading the same water because Ray and Art and Rumsfeld think they're treading the same water. And they think, well, they've already got a team formed. So they've got Art, or Rumsfeld is in his room, a la Jimmy Stewart staring out the window, doing (laughs) the same stuff he was up on the roof, being the lookout. And Art has perfected the art, quote-unquote, of... Of doing these kind of investigations because that's all he's been doing for the past 20 years. And then Ray is not as skeptical this time. He is going to make sure that this does not happen again. And he's all on board. And so they go and they break into the house and get more fun inside the house. And they can ultimately find the way into one of the vaults, one of the bomb shelters and they, they they find their way down there and they find all this treasure expecting to find dead bodies and then the big monologuing bad guy scene can come when Hans finds them in the bomb shelter and they try to make a citizen's arrest they call the cops and only one police officer comes Officer Ricky Feldman <laughs> and he shows up and he says, I'll take care of this. He unhandcuffs Ricky or unhandcuffs Hans, and we find out that Ricky has been one of the main developers of the neighborhood. And since, you know, he showed himself to be a handyman in the first movie by having a bunch of cans of paint around but not actually painting the house, <laughs> he could have eventually built himself up into a rehabbing, real estate rehabbing business. And then he was eventually a developer, and now he's bought down, bought these old houses, tore them down, and built new ones in their place. And when he found out what was underneath one of them, he kept it a secret. He got Hans, because he's a police officer, he got Hans out of prison, paroled early, in exchange for uh, sharing the gold that exists underneath the house. And... How do we end it, Ray? How do we end it? <laughs> You're out of my neighborhood, Lamos. <laughs> we end with Art Rumsfeld and Ray trapped in the bomb shelter as Ricky locks them in. They got plenty of food and water because it's a bomb shelter. Ricky locks him in and tells Ray... I told you I'd keep an eye on the place, Mr. Peterson, and locks him in. <laughs> Ricky was behind it all. The, the dark turn of Ricky. <laughs> <laughs> the, 
the burbs too. <laughs> Ricky's behind it all. Oh, who who would see it coming? Exactly. So so our three heroes are left to fend for themselves in a bomb shelter, <laughs> sealed in for all time, and their beloved burbs. This is this is one of those fun things that you could have on the DVD where you got like three alternate endings. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the alternate endings could be. Well, you know, it's like, well, we either have, you know, our our ending here with them getting shut down there by by Ricky. Um, you know, you could have uh, Carol Peterson shows up and blows Ricky away. <laughs> like Blues Brothers, she just starts shooting. She shows up and starts shooting. Uh, yeah, she starts shooting like in the Blues Brothers. She's... Uh, or Ricky rescues him. They all share in Hans's gold, gold and Ricky yeah, finally it. lives up to his d- dream of buying a pizza place called the Pizza Dudes. Yeah, so I mean, you know, you could you could make that work with whatever direction you wanted to go with it being, you know, serious or Ricky's had a house painting company just for the damn last confusing. <laughs> Ricky's <laughs> whatever way you want to make it. Girl. Ricky's had a house painting company for the last 20 years, but he finally lives out his dream to buy the Pizza Dude. <laughs> Don't worry, Mr. Peterson. I'm a pizza dude now. I'll take care of it. And the logo for the Pizza Dude restaurant is a picture of an ambulance, burning ambulance sitting in front of Art's house is the logo for the Pizza Dude. And it's just got him, like, you know, hauling out a baked pizza. For- <laughs> <laughs> Cause that's just the kind of guy a rookie is. Man. Exactly. So that's our that's our theory for the, the burbs, burbs too, <laughs> where there's, I, we we can. I think a, a story can be drawn out. A sequel can be drawn out from any existing property if you just think about it enough and take a risk. Because I because I think I came up with the idea of having the twist ending here of it turning really dark, and I think you were originally hesitant for that. But you know what? There's no other reason to make a sequel if you're just. If you're gonna just rehash it, we've seen that enough. Uh, that's that's very true. Yeah, if we if you're just gonna do the Burbs too, and Hans is a killer, and they capture him again, and then an older Corey Feldman looks at the camera and says, "Damn, I still love this street." Um, no, <laughs> but if you turn it on its ear, this could be in a movie that could end up at Sundance <laughs> with a bunch of buzz of people saying, can you believe the twist ending of the Burbs 2? <laughs> yeah, what, what we were likening this to is uh, what the original script apparently was for the Terminator Salvation movie, uh, where it ended on a extremely dark note. Yes. Uh, with the John Connor character who was more minor in the original script, uh, basically being turned into a cyborg and killing everyone who he had cared about when he was still fully human. Um, and that being the big, you know, shock twist that the great hero of humanity ends up being a cyborg type of thing. And so, um, yeah, I think that's where we kind of ended up with Ricky is behind it all. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll take the most insignificant character from the original film and, yeah, and I think it really needs to be a point, in a very broad sense, there needs to be a point behind what is the point of doing a reboot or a sequel, and I think that's what our goal is, is we continue to, to do this from 
week to week, whatever we're going to record, is the idea of if you're going to do something based off an existing property that's a spin of a reboot, a remake, or a sequel, you need you have you have to take a chance with it. Otherwise, what is the point? If we could sit here and come up with an idea for a sequel to the burbs and make it something that sounds like wow that could be cool to see <laughs> i think it could be done for anything and we'll test that theory here over the next coming weeks you know if you like this show uh like us on like us on facebook stop by uh if you have suggestions for things that you'd like us to try to tackle give us you know give us some ideas give us some feedback yes yeah, send me a we... message to my myspace page so i can tell <laughs> oh oh wait a minute oh yeah, I mean, we, we've obviously got ideas of stuff that we want to do and everything, but um, hey, we're always game for seeing what else uh, you guys would like to float to us here. So, Absolutely, and I'll, we'll, uh, we'll start digging into the catacombs here to see what else can be rebooted, remade, or sequelized that no one's thought of yet. <laughs> so, hope you like uh, the idea for Burbs 2. Electric Boogaloo of Corey Feldman, and hopefully it will someday get made before everyone else passes away and it becomes a moot point, because how fun would it be to see Tom Hanks and Carrie Fisher back together again for the first time? To see Carrie Fisher's wonderful bowl cut come back would be awesome. (laughs) (laughs) But to see the reemergence of the comedic Hanks, that's all we want. That's all we're after here, guys. The comedic Hanks, or his one move, if I could put an animated gif on this podcast, I would. The Hanks move where he sticks his right arm out, kind of twists it at the wrist, and does some weird crap with his fingers, and it's a comedic move that's for the ages. That's the best way I know how to describe it. Well, we blabbered on enough about the burbs. And so we'll we'll let you go. Be free. Yeah. <laughs> be be free and prosper. And uh, hey, go Ricky, go cut your lawn. <laughs> hey, Ricky, do me a favor. Can mm. can can you keep an eye on the neighborhood for me? <laughs> you got it, Mr. Peterson. Oh my! I'll give you a God. high five there. <laughs> Big old useless high five. High five, <laughs> and we're out. Going away for a while, Ricky. What's your day? Keep an eye on the neighborhood for me. You betcha, Mr. Peterson. No problem. Don't forget to like us on Facebook. Episodes can be downloaded on iTunes or at EnceladusLiterary.com. Opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect those of Enceladus Literary. God, I love this street. I'm only trying to take a nap. I'm only laying here with my eyes closed trying to get some goddamn sleep. Okay, but... Ah!